The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I'd like to start this evening by reviewing something I talked about this morning for those of you who weren't here this morning. And that's about reporting. We're engaging in practices this week that are designed to support our mindfulness practice, to support the remembering to come back into mindfulness more frequently, to recognize mindfulness when it arises. And actually part of the practice this week is includes a reporting on your experience. So a lot of these evenings and morning discussion times are times where I want to hear from you what you are experiencing. I want to hear what you're noticing. And that is uh, the direct experience of what you're noticing, not your ideas or thoughts or opinions or judgments about what you're noticing. This practice of reporting on your experience is really helpful to help cement the practices. If you come to an evening thinking that you might be giving a report, it will probably prompt you to pay more attention during the day. <laughs> now with this many people, um, it's probably not, it's not going to be possible for everybody to report every evening. So one thing I'd like to suggest for you, for each of you, is to find some way perhaps to self-report. To either journal for a few minutes in the evening, to write down what you've been noticing about the practices and just the experience. Not any review, not any review of what you did right or wrong, not any idea about what it should have been, but just what you noticed. When I did my uh, walking, this is what I noticed. When I was doing my chore, this is what I noticed. These are the sensations I noticed. This is what I noticed. I noticed my mind wandering, but I noticed that my mind came back pretty quickly. So making some notes around what you are noticing, just the actual experience of what you are noticing. This process, it serves to help you take some interest in what you're experiencing. And as you'll discover here shortly, I am really ex interested in hearing what you're noticing. Really, really interested in this. Maybe it doesn't seem like something somebody would be interested in, the details of what you're noticing, but... I am interested in this. And my interest, I think, uh, is a little bit catching, hopefully. So as you take an interest in the reporting and take an interest in the 
understanding your experience from the perspective of direct experience as opposed to opinions and views of your experience. It helps to, in framing your report in that way, it helps you to see your experience in that way. So it begins to help you to see your experience without the views and opinions and judgments and corrections. So it's, very, it's a very helpful practice to, to do this reporting. It also helps to, in hearing my response, you will hear my response to some of these reports. And over time, you get familiar with the flavors of things that I notice and highlight in the reports. And over time what happens is that you get to almost know as you're creating your report what the teacher might say. Oh, did you notice that? Did you, did you uh, notice that aspect of your experience? Or you could try to notice this when that kind of experience happens again. So essentially what happens as we engage in the reporting is that we begin to see what we are missing, what our mindfulness is missing. And we can start to take a little more interest in particular aspects or areas of our experience to see if we can pick up those things that we're missing. For myself, when I first learned about, really learned about reporting with my Burmese teacher, Sayada Upandita, it was a revelation to me. The, the clarity and the detail that he wanted in the reporting. As I began looking at my experience that way and began creating my report, I could hear his response. Did you note that? <laughs> No, I didn't note that. Oh, I, I missed that. I missed that frustration. So it begins to point us to a way that we can instruct ourselves through working with these reports. Another way to, if you don't like journaling or that's not something that works very well for you, you can also maybe find a buddy here, um, somebody that you could do an email exchange with once a day about what you're noticing and make a report to each other. I'd really like to encourage this because it dramatically increases the inclination to mindfulness when you are talking to somebody about your direct experience on a regular basis. And if you find a buddy that works for you, you know, that where you find that there's an easy communication back and forth, you might use that as we um, move out of the retreat next week to, to stay connected with the practices in daily life. So I'd like to um, hear what you have to say about your experiences. And we'll do this in the microphone so that...
um, people with the hearing-assisted devices can hear and people on the Internet can hear. Yes. Carolyn, right? Carolyn, okay. My task was um, cleaning the cat box in the morning. And so when I did that this morning, I was mindful of my position and where the weight fell on my feet and how my body was positioned. And then after I finished, the cat went back into the box and did some more. So I noticed that, and I was thinking about why he did that and went back to clean it up and realized I was judging him and had no sense of what my body was doing or anything else because I was focused on thinking about his behavior. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... I realized that when I went back again a third time and looked at the box and realized that I had forgotten to smooth out the sand the way I would normally do. So the judgment really just interfered not only with the sensation of my body, but I didn't complete the task the way I would normally have completed it or had completed it earlier when I was mindful. So that was a lot of ahas for me. Mm. Um, my routine thing to do, I decided, was drinking. And I went to lunch on Monday with a friend that I hadn't seen in a couple of months. And I had a glass of wine and water. And the first sip of water, I was mindful about that, but then got very engaged in discussing with him and catching up and all that kind of thing. And it was at the end of the lunch, I had another sip of water and went to stand up for us to leave, and I almost gasped, realizing that that, during the whole meal, I had forgotten to be mindful about drinking the sips of water until that last sip, and I guess I went, oh, I had forgotten. So Mm -hmm. that was almost a visceral reaction to that moment of remembering. So was it a, a judgment reaction, that moment of remembering? Or was it more surprise? Or what it was, was surprise? It was surprise, and mm-hmm. the gasping was very visceral. I wasn't. It, it was wasn't even thinking. It was just the recognition of not having been conscious or mindful mm-hmm. throughout the meal with uh-huh. sipping the, wa- um, the water. You know, this is why I suggest doing these tasks because it really highlights to us. I mean, as I mentioned on Sunday, these things become a point of reference for us so that we can recognize that we haven't been mindful. You know, it's like you clearly saw that duration of the meal that you were not there, you know, that, that you were engaged in, um, more absorbed, I guess, probably, in the experience as opposed to being aware of what was happening. So that's precisely the point of these exercises. So it is functioning for you. So I want to say that because, um, you know, sometimes when we notice something like that, we get discouraged. It's like, oh, I, you know, I missed all of those sips of water. I didn't do it right. There's no right or wrong here. It's more about noticing when we get lost. So in this case, 
you noticed that in both cases actually there was something that happened that made you get lost. And in retrospect, it sounds like with the cat box, you noticed the judgment about your cat going into the cat box right after you cleaned it uh, set off some reactivity that obscured the ability to be mindful. Uh, So you, you have a little bit of information now in that noticing when you came back, uh, when you remembered after that whole event had passed, you noticed, oh, it was the judgment. The judgment is what made me lose the mindfulness. With the meal, it may have been just the engagement in the conversation, kind of talking with somebody. Talking is probably one of the easiest places to lose mindfulness. It's a very challenging practice for us. So... You don't need to feel bad about <laughs> losing mindfulness while speaking. It's, it's, a, it's a hard one. But you might, the next time you sit down for a meal and engage in speaking, try to add a little interest to, maybe I could try or can I be present while speaking? Just add a little bit of, of uh, extra juice to the situation somehow, you know, just a little bit of interest to to see if you can stay present for that. And when a judgment comes up, can you notice the feeling of the judgment? Take an interest in the feeling of judgment itself, because the judgment is what's carrying you away. And so if you can be aware of the judgment itself, you may be able to stay mindful. So part of what we do in this is is we notice through this practice, particularly the one of noticing regularly throughout the day, is you notice when you're forgetting. And you can often recognize, oh, I see, I got really caught up in that email I was writing or whatever is happening for you. And in that seeing the conditions that catch you up, you can then in the future see if you can incline yourself to be a little more present in those conditions. Know that you tend to get caught in those conditions and um, add a little extra oomph to the awareness. I had a situation, I just mentioned this in one of my interviews, it was on retreat, so it wasn't a daily life experience, but it, I think it relates. Where I kept noticing myself staring at myself in the mirror. And I had not been mindful of looking in the mirror. But I would find myself just gazing at myself in the mirror, and I would wake up sometime in that process, and I would realize I hadn't noticed that I was looking I hadn't noticed, how did I get to that place of looking at myself in the mirror and just kind of staring at myself? So I took that as a a place of interest. Anytime I approached a mirror, (laughs) kind of taking an interest in, how do I get caught in this? You know, what's happening here? You know, I'd be washing my hands. I'd be aware while washing my hands. And the next thing I knew, I was staring at myself in the mirror. It's like... Wow, you know, how does this happen? So just taking an interest, I I really kind of highlighted that 
that whole experience as a place to explore what is it that catches me and eventually I got to the place where I could notice and eventually I just didn't even look in the mirror <laughs> but um, so, so that's one way that this practice works to highlight those places where we get caught so that we can then explore them a little more deeply thank you Min. Um, I have a question about the judgment part. When you're um, talking to a friend, um, I sometimes wake up in the middle of the talk and I'm aware that I'm judging the other person. And I immediately um, don't like the fact that I'm aware because I, I'm, I'm feeling kind of like this superiority or... Um, and then immediately I don't like myself for doing it. So I sometimes like, um, I don't want to be aware at this moment. So um, so th- what you're saying is just to feel the judgment? You know, judgment, judgment can be a challenging one to work with. Um, anything that's unpleasant, you know, actually. We wake up in the midst of something unpleasant or difficult. It's like, whoa, why do I want to be here? <laughs> don't want to be present for this. Eventually we get to the place where we realize and recognize that being present for it is better than being caught by it and acting on it. And so we start to get that sense of it supporting our movement in the direction that we want to go towards the letting go of the judgment or perhaps recognizing the feeling of judgment, if you get really familiar with that feeling of judgment, you might notice it as it's beginning to arise before it actually has you blurting something out about it. Um, So you might just get really familiar with that feeling and then appreciate the fact that the awareness is helping you to act skillfully even though you're feeling that. So that we start to get some appreciation for the awareness itself. Judgment can be a painful thing and we often take it really seriously. We assume that we, because we're judging, and we we actually kind of believe the judgment. And the judgment arising and the belief in the judgment are actually two different things. There's the, this thought that arises, I'm better than he is, or whatever. And then there's this immediate kind of looking at that and going, yeah, I agree with that, that's true, or whatever. Um, so there's the judgment and there's the belief in the judgment, and they're actually different things. So one way that I've played with judgment or looked at judgment is to kind of, or one way to look at judgment is to um, kind of notice how much belief is operating there. So recognize that the belief is there. And there are, can be gradations of that belief. That you'll start to notice the thought arising. It's like, well, I don't believe that. You know, this thought comes up. It's like, I don't even believe that. But But we have habits of particular thoughts arising. And... So we we tend to think those thoughts even if we don't believe them. 
So it's, it's, we start to tease apart, you know, these thoughts that just get constructed. And the, uh, the, the believing part of it. One way to help us recognize that a judgmental thought is just a thought, because that's part of what helps us with judgment, to just recognize, oh, this is just a thought. I'm better than he is. That's just a thought. This is a, a technique that Joseph Goldstein suggests. He has actually has two suggestions around judging thoughts, and I like to offer them both. One is that anytime you notice a judging thought arise in your mind, see if you can add a, the other thought, and the sky is blue. So I'm better than he is, and the sky is blue. Partly it adds a little bit of humor, which then we don't take quite as seriously. And it points us to the fact that this is just a thought. You're adding a neutral, true thought to the judgment that kind of begins to help neutralize the, the judging thought and maybe cuts into that tendency to believe or leap onto it and, and really, yeah, that's, I believe that. Sometimes we just have a tendency to believe our thoughts just because we think them, you know, without even really looking at whether we believe them or not. So that's one thing that you can, uh, you can look at is adding a, a thought like, and the sky is blue. Another thing you can try, and this, I'm not sure how well this will work in daily life. This is usually offered on retreats, is to count your judging thoughts. You know, during the day. So, judging thought, 600. (laughs) 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 Judging thought, 752. (laughs) And again, it begins to get, we realize, wow, you know, this, the mind does this all day long. It judges, it, it compares, it says you're better than, you're less than, you're the same as, all day long, it's doing this. And so it begins to normalize it for us so that we don't get quite so bound up or feel so bad about ourselves for doing it. We tend to want to try to stop this process from happening, but it's already happened. I mean, the judging thought has already happened. And we've leapt onto it, we believed it, we start to feel, when we notice it, we feel bad about ourselves. Often we feel bad about ourselves. That whole process has happened. So we can't kind of go back and redo it. We just have to notice where we are with it in the moment, which is with the feeling. And if you can catch the thought as it happens and add that and the sky is blue, you'll find, I think you'll find that it, uh, it really moderates some of the whole reactive pattern that results from it. Because essentially you're catching, if you can add and the sky is blue to the thought, you're catching it pretty quickly. You're catching the judging thought before it really has a chance to form the whole complex of uh, belief and reaction. Um, So our minds are designed to judge. You know, they're designed to compare and contrast. So it's a very natural thing that our minds do. So 
see if you can be a little gentle with yourself around the fact that your mind does it. And So I had been noticing um, just getting into sort of a, a grumpy funk. And my hypothesis was that it was arising during the, the morning activities. There's a whole series of exercises and stretches that I do. So I decided I, for, my for the, the daily ones, since these things take forever anyway, to just note as I changed from one to the next what was up. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed, to my surprise, was that there's this tension between um, two voices. The, the voice that wants me to get stronger and healthier and all this stuff. And so is, yeah, okay, you know, we've been doing this many of this for long enough. I think it feels like, yeah, it feels like we could do more or whatever. And there's the other voice that's this anxious, yeah, but I don't want to hurt. And you know how your body is. And if you do too much, you're, you're going to hurt, and you won't know until 24 hours from now. And it was pretty much continual, mm. this, little, this little tension. And, and I'm not surprised that would lead to sort of a grumpy mind state. <laughs> <laughs> and yet both of those, in some regard, is skillful. Yeah. I mean, you need to, you need to maneuver between them. Um, Having them become conscious is the first step to being able to have them be there without being in conflict. So this is good. You're beginning to notice them. So see if you can notice where the tension arises around it. I mean, just the fact that you have this thought and then you have that thought Again, there's some, there's some perhaps relative belief in one thought over another or a sense of um, trying to weigh or balance. or wh- Where does the tension actually arise in that well, scenario? It seemed to be what you just said. I mean, that's, it's sort of inherent in two different voices, both wanting to be true, well, isn't it? I, I don't think it's inherent in it. Um, I think you can look at those two thoughts and um, notice when the feeling of tension arises and then pay attention to that part. Pay attention. Maybe even, it may be a challenge to slow, slow down a little bit, but maybe don't make the decision about whether to go do more or or stop until you feel that tension relax. Can you say more about that? That That's not... Well, so you, you said that at some point there's a kind of a, you, you know, you've done this many for so many, you, you know you can do this much. And then there's the voice that says, okay, you can do some more, make, make yourself stronger. And then there's a voice that says, no, be careful, you're not going to know until tomorrow. Um, so at that point, noticing the tension that's arisen, pay attention to the tension for a few moments. See if it relaxes before you decide which to do. There may be some information in there to help you decide. Okay, yeah, that works. 
Yeah, the, the thoughts that arise, they, they, they're just thoughts. They're just, they, they have no weight. There's just a blip of neurons in the mind. And it's the amount of weight we give to them, the belief we give to them, the uh, assignment of truth we give to them that makes them heavy. Thank you, Rehan. Sue. Okay, so my task has been um, going through doorways. And um, this morning when I was getting ready to come here, um, my routine in the morning is I put my dog out from my house to my, I have a detached garage in the back. And this morning I prepared her food and got her up. She's an old dog. (laughs) And moved towards the door. And when I opened the door and looked out, it was just a beautiful foggy morning. And I was just struck by the happiness. That's another thing we're we're looking for. And um, I just paused there for a moment at the doorway, drinking in the happiness, and then realized, oh, I'm at a doorway. (laughs) (laughs) I need to be mindful. Oh, this is great. So I just went right out into the happiness and um, drunk it in for a little bit and walked to the garage, opened the door, again realizing mindful of the doorway, um, feeling my body moving into the garage and kind of feeling this wave of the happiness of the sensual pleasure just kind of taper down mm-hmm. as I get into the garage. Mm-hmm. Um, got everything prepared, made sure she had water, gave her a treat. Um, moved back out through the doorway thinking, ooh, good, I could be <laughs> mindful of the, of the morning and stood out there for a minute and looked up and just saw the fog and the trees and feeling the, the dampness and smelling the, the redwoods and, and I moved towards the house, another door, and I, and, and I thought, mindfulness. And, and as soon as I thought mindfulness at the doorway, that moment of awareness was an opening up of the rest of my senses, and I heard a really loud jet plane that was just going overhead. And I had completely not been aware of my hearing sense mm-hmm. at all while, while I was hooked into the visual and the, and the rest of my sense doors. Uh-huh. Um, it, and so I've been playing with that all day, the difference of quality of the mindfulness against being hooked and being curious about a lot of aspects of that experience. Like, at what point did I lose the mindfulness at the doorway from the garage, mm-hmm. going out, getting hooked, at what time, you know, and, and just being curious about different aspects of that. So are you saying that um, when you moved from the garage to the house that you lost the mindfulness? Well, or I, th- the- I thought I was being mindful, but... It, it seems that I was hooked into that. Okay, you were you were attending to the visual field. Yeah, because I I obviously was missing the hearing field. Right. Completely. Okay, so this is this is a, a very interesting point. 
Um, and it's actually something that I want to do an exercise on <laughs> here. I, I, I don't think we'll do it tonight, but, but at some point, maybe tomorrow night we'll do it. There's times when the attention is so with something that it does block out other senses. It doesn't mean that you're not being mindful, but it means you're being focused. There may have been a hook there. I mean, there may have been some kind of desire going that really had you on the the visual of the fog and the morning. It may have simply been that your attention was just riveted there. And then it's interesting to me that at some point, you know, the, the, the seeing of the doorway kind of broadened the mindfulness and then you became aware of other senses. So there, there's different ways that we can be mindful. We can be focused on a, a sense door, paying attention to seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and we may not notice things happening in the other sense doors when we're really focused on that. And it was kind of startling for you. I mean, a loud jet plane you didn't hear, that's kind of startling, you know, that that (laughs) it really shows you how focused the mind can be. So the... the, um, It's a very interesting thing to explore. You don't have to have the idea or the view that you always have to be open to all the senses. It's fine for the mind to come down and be mindful at one sense door, to be focused on seeing or to be focused on the way the mind is doing something with respect to the computer, you know, to to, to know that it's happening that you know you're you're composing this message you know that you're composing the message and you're attuned to the emotional experience of that you may not hear somebody walk in the room while you're doing that but you're attuned to you're mindful of what's happening it's just that you're focused and then there are other times where the mind is more open and relaxed and it it's more expansive and takes in more experience but neither one is really wrong or right. It is interesting to to see or to to kind of check in about uh, whether there's a kind of a hook somewhere or a desire to be with something that's limiting or narrowing our focus. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. So that's that's a that's a beautiful description of of a of a distinction in terms of two ways the mind can pay attention. It can be focused or it can be expansive. And noticing when it's one or the other. Now, it sounds like you didn't notice you were focused, mindful, until you realized the plane, you, you hadn't heard the plane. So that's, that's a great thing to notice. So thank you for that. Um, so, uh, a couple of things. The first is drinking water, drinking liquids. Uh, pretty good at this. I, I, I noticed sometimes I drink water fast. And then at about 
say it's six sips, about the fourth or fifth sip, I kind of notice, hmm, a little, little fast here, and maybe the sixth sip kind of slows down a bit. And uh, other times nice and easy, and it, it works out however it works out, but that's just a little slower. And I kind of have a little happiness when it's kind of slow. Maybe I've taken a break from meditating for a bit and just have a few sips of water, and it's nice and slow and nice pace of just sipping the water. Um, also, the container is such that I need to unscrew it and screw it back up, and that's a practice in itself. And that helps you to remember. Yes. That's great. Yes. <laughs> props. Of, we like yes, props. <laughs> um, the other one that's more repetitive is the one I've been, at your suggestion, to kind of include different types of singing. And this has been interesting because... I have a certain exuberance about singing, and yet I'm, I'm practicing a little more mindfulness. So, but I'm kind of noticing a little judgment, so I'll get really exuberant, and I say, hmm, it's a little harsh here, and kind of bring it back a notch. And that's okay. I mean, it's, it's exuberant, and kind of, okay, I could have been a little slower maybe in that, or a little bit quieter. Now, I sing, kind of, the, the music I've been singing is anything, well, generally, Spiritual music and opera. I've actually had some opera training. So it's especially with the opera where it gets very exuberant. I'll be listening to an aria, and then I'll start singing it as best I can. And I notice when I get too exuberant, and then, oh, the next time I approach that first note, it's not like I'm going to be quiet about it, but I can do be, just kick it back, bring it back a notch mm -hmm. and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like that, just playing with... Because what happens is it allows almost a, a bigger, more full voice to come out when I just bring it down a notch mm -hmm. in terms of the exuberance. And so the, the, what I think I had mentioned is to be mindful of the emotional tone. And, the, yeah. and so that sounds like you're able to, uh -huh. to do that and that you're actually using it in a way. To, to be a little more skillful around the singing. Yes, yeah. yes. so yeah. that's been, been nice. Now, I, I'll tell about a funny one that was a little embarrassing. <laughs> I was getting out of the parking lot this morning. With, I had a few minutes to get to the, to the retreat here from sw swimming at the Y, and I'm backing up my car, another car's coming, and I'm hearing something, and I'm singing, and I bit my tongue. It's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I said, okay. I don't think I have to do eight things at one time here. I can actually back out, and maybe I don't have to sing the notes at the same time. <laughs> it wasn't too bad, but I said, okay, don't have to do that one again. So the so. theme I'm hearing in your report seems to be around slowing down. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's not like I'm dissatisfied with that, but I'm just noticing it because I'll tend to rush. It's been a past, especially in the past, less so I say the last many months, but it's just something I note. I've been kind of been aware of that for a long time. So now that the piece that I'm I'm I noticed is that you said that when you were drinking at a slower pace, there was a feeling of happiness. Mm -hmm. Some some sense of like contentment or mm -hmm. happiness. So it may be that the slowing down will be a supporting condition for you mm -hmm. for more happiness. So, okay. yeah, just notice that area. Sure. <laughs> the, the, causal, the causal links. It's interesting to pay attention to the causal relationships 
between wholesome mind states and our activities. And, thank you. And, and I'll mention one thing which wasn't exactly the activities, but like Monday, I came here with almost no extra time to see what would happen like as I'm driving. Okay, I've got two minutes <laughs> slot time at best. And I see myself coming to lights and all that. And I, okay, I'm rushing a little bit. Hmm, I don't really need to rush that much here. I mean, what's going to happen? I'm going to be five minutes late. You know, what's the, what's the worst thing that could happen? And then today, I made a choice to come here with maybe 15 minutes to spare just to kind of see, okay, what happens when I'm driving down the road and going with a green light, a red light, how is it? And just playing with that. And what did you notice? Um, still, I felt pretty in tune today. Um, still a little rushed at times. I said, okay, I gave myself 15 minutes. <laughs> so, well, what is this about? And yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> wow, this is interesting. A little bit of the... Uh, the habit of rushing. Of the habit. Right? Yeah. It's a habit. So I said, okay, it's, it's just a habit. And okay. And, and you can help to support the letting go of the habit by putting yourself in situations where you don't need to rush. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, but, but it's very interesting to notice that even having enough time, there's still that momentum of the habit of, gotta get there, gotta get there. <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you, Joel. So I'll put a question out there. I'm curious if people have been using the walking practice, and if so, how has that been going? I'd like to encourage you to use the walking practice. <laughs> It's a really great practice, Lauren. Okay. I used it a little bit today. I found that walking has been just it spontaneously arisen as a mindfulness exercise for me this week. There's the particular hallways where I work are just very straight, so it just sort of seems to kick in when I when I walk down these hallways. And I had um, a particularly difficult middle of the day at work today and I was noticing myself walking down the hall and thought you know let me just activate this <laughs> and I just I just tried to move through the seeing and it was a very short distance it wasn't very long at all the seeing um, hearing moving and and uh, touching and it instantly sort of helped me open up and just relax and release and it was just very quick and it wasn't effortful at all and it didn't I didn't even need to really note it but it was almost as though there was a, um, I don't know, mindfulness memory from the experience that I had had from Sunday. I was just really able to touch into the kind of openness and spaciousness that had happened when I did the longer practice on Sunday. And it was just, it, it really helped just to sort of remember that. That's, that's a, a really good point that sometimes we can recall experience to support our mindfulness also. 
So recalling a time when we were particularly able to be mindful, even just reflecting on that can support bringing up of that quality in our minds. So thank you. Yeah, Lynn. I have a habit of um, when I get up in the morning, I put on a, um, some water for tea, and I take a, a walk out in the backyard uh, across this deck. And um, I find it's a really great time to check in. It's like a short walking meditation until um, my tea water is ready. And... Um, um, the back of the house is kind of wooded, so there's often uh, noticing of you know what's uh, what's up or what's the yesterday when the yesterday or I guess it was Sunday night the rain had come and everything was wet and it smelled different and but it's a, an opportunity to use your sense stores. Um, and connect with the day. Yeah, yeah. So you do that regularly each day? I do day. it every morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a beautiful practice to, to, to start your day with. <laughs> I guess I, I'm unclear about um, the reporting and how happiness fits in. So I have picked two activities, mm-hmm. and then I find that I'm mindful of happiness as it arises during the day. So what are you noticing about the happiness as it arises? Is it, is it, I mean, you're noticing the happiness of being out there in the morning. Clearly that seems to be a, a, a place where happiness arises. Yeah. What other ways is happiness arising for you? Well, in particular today, um, I um, my rent was due and I hadn't gotten paid for some work I had done a month ago and uh, I was uh, in email conversation with the person I had done the work with and the check arrived today <laughs> and I um, as I had been out to the mailbox three times before the mail had arrived that <laughs> 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 I uh, I, it was a a, a, a relief uh-huh. okay. and, a, and a, um, a happiness that I could meet my commitment. Mm-hmm. You know, that mm-hmm. it was just like, uh, you know, I wasn't going to have to write that check and tell them to hold it for a few days. Or um, So it sounds like the happiness had two parts to it. Yeah. It had the, the letting go of the tension around a relief, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of a, a tension around... Is this going to be okay? And then, you know, the, the the complexity of figuring out how to make it work, and then realizing, oh, whew, okay, that works. So then, you know, there's the kind of the letting go of that tension. So there's a little bit of that happiness of letting go. And then um, it sounds like there's a happiness, a kind of a, a positive side of it of, oh, I can do this. I can meet this commitment. So there's the letting go part of it around the releasing of the tension and then the happiness of being able to make and take an action. So different flavors of that 
produce the happiness. Yeah, yeah. And I guess there were several... I'm finding I'm... um, I'm finding delight in... um, Connecting with people, I'm. Uh, I don't live near f- my family, and um, I um, had three interactions today where I felt like a real strong connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, my father is um, rehabbing from having a knee replacement, so I've been calling him every day, and um, just noticing his. Um, uh, states of mind, you know, from frustration to, you know, playful to something, you know, when the nurse brings his pills, he'll say, oh, is that my dessert? Because you know? <laughs> uh, they come right after his meal, so it's, uh, or, you know, there's two, do you want one, or, you know, one for me, one for you? She, no, no, but he uh, has a way of being playful. And... Um, Getting something in the mail. Mm-hmm. I, um, my family has a a competition around basketball season, and um, I lost. I was the rubber chicken award, so <laughs> I received this rubber chicken in the mail, <laughs> <laughs> along with a T-shirt from my cousin, who I don't hear from very often. So the the happiness of heart to connection. Yeah, or, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I rarely get a, a letter and uh, from from this particular cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, in your tasks or in your exploration of the practice, that's another way, perhaps, doorway for practice that I haven't, I mean, a doorway for happiness that I haven't heard you mention, which may have been there, may not have been there, is kind of the the happiness of engaging with the practice or the happiness of um, uh, seeing something where there's a little space, you know, that, that, that the actual practice itself can bring some, some happiness to. Did you feel any of that or have you felt any of that? Um, I guess in some way there's been something around calling my father one of the things that I've noted is that somehow magically around 2 o'clock I pick up the phone, which is about his dinner time, you know, and uh, uh, there's it amazes me that sometimes that happens on kind of a unconscious level. Mm-hmm. Um you know, almost like it's a radar thing, but not, not, um, but I don't think I, I wouldn't call it mindfulness. Right, yeah. Um, so just, just kind of keep yourself open to the possibility, because sometimes when we're being mindful, paying attention to things, we're so focused on the being mindful part that we actually miss that there's some really lovely mind states happening at the same time. Um, so we're kind of focused on, um, well, like thinking about this morning, being walking out in the, in the yard. Um, part of that happiness comes because you're present. 
You know, so it's it's intimately connected with the practice itself because you are there able to be with uh, your experience. And so that happiness comes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way that that the practice can, can begin. That's kind of the most simple way that the practice can begin to take us into the er- some areas of happiness. Um, another thing that might might happen is as you're engaging with you know your father, if you notice maybe a little frustration on your part when he gets frustrated, just being able to see that frustration and not be reactive, but just see, oh yeah, there's some frustration, or seeing your father react and realizing, oh yeah, I used to be really reactive when he got frustrated, but now I'm just able to be there with him, and then it changes, and, and a kind of a feeling of delight happens around that because you see that you're no longer so reactive. Mm-hmm. So just opening to the possibility that there can be some simple joys around the way the mind is providing some uh, support for us to not be so reactive. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I like to just point to this because sometimes we just don't... We're so focused on trying to pay attention, particularly to physical senses... You know, we're, we're, we kind of move into the physical sense realm and we think, you know, we're paying attention to vibration and touch and uh, heat and coolness and, and we may forget to notice that the mind is responding to all of this. So that there's a, you know, just seeing if you can notice as you are being aware, how is it impacting your whole experience, not just your physical experience, but your whole experience? And you may notice some surprising emotions at times, that even if you're looking at something really difficult, uh, you know, you're, you're paying attention to a strong feeling of anger. Simultaneous to that can be a feeling of joy for the witnessing itself. And, you know, it's, it's something that... that um, you might miss if you're really just engaged with the feeling of the anger. So, you know, allowing yourself to open a little bit to and what else is happening here in my whole experience as I'm being mindful of this thing. So, if I heard you right, it's about the joy of um, mindfulness or, yeah. or engagement. Yes, yes, yeah. and. Yes. What, with whatever's happening. Yes. I mean, that, that, that that's a possibility. You don't have to try to find it or try to do it, but just sometimes it's happening and we miss it because our lens is, it's kind of like Sue was talking about, you know, we're focused on something. So we miss something else that's happening. So it's just to kind of open to the possibility that there, there may be a response uh, to the mindfulness itself, the engagement, the engagement itself. And that, as we can tune into that and key into that, um, kind of confidence, the happiness, the, um, there's, you know, the, the sense of any kind of balance of mind around what we're engaging in, 
it supports the practice to notice those beautiful qualities coming along for the ride. You know, we don't have to do them. They just kind of, because we're engaged with the mindfulness, we don't have to try to be joyful around it. I'm not, not suggesting you try to do that. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. It's just kind of like the, the, the engaging with the, the practice of attending to our experience will pull some qualities along with it that um, we might not notice unless we kind of have our radar. And what else is going on here? You know, just checking, checking it out. I can see how that might be particularly um, important like or helpful when I, I tend to, when someone's very angry or, um, you know, I, to um, kind of shut down. I think mm. you want to just, it's like there's a, aversion and you want to just go like, oh, you know, like, oh. but if you can just be... Um, uh, they present right. Be aware not only of the other person, but how you are. Right. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. So it's time to stop this evening. So I encourage you to um, find some way to engage with this uh, reporting in some way. Um, and if you know somebody here, you could ask to be a buddy. That might be a good thing. <laughs> Thank you.